0: Each week, Richard and Father Mark present a rigorous discussion of the Bible in a format short enough for your morning commute but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. Over 24,000 episodes are downloaded each month at no charge. Please consider marking your level of support with a one-time donation or by pledging a small amount per episode. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi,
1: this is Father Mark Boulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Without realizing it, When people hear the word church, they usually imagine a meta-institution with clear organizational or ideological boundaries, akin to a government or global corporation. Worse, in our various expressions of Christianity, one way or another we tend to operate as such. Whether attempting to control the world through ideology or to market ourselves for institutional gain, our understanding of church rebels against the Lord's teaching. As disciples of Scripture, our duty according to St. Paul is to refresh our minds, supplanting our idolatrous notions of institution with the literary context imposed by the Bible. For Paul, who invites his addressees to hear him according to the Scriptures, the reference for church is something far less glamorous than the powerful institutions idolized by human beings. A church, in Scripture, is akin to a shepherd's flock, and Paul himself is the slave not of a powerful institution, but of a shepherd, who gave his life for his sheep. Richard and I conclude our study of First Corinthians. You're listening to the Bible as Literature.
0: This is Father Mark Bulos, And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
1: And you are listening to episode 121 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Richard, I have to say that I'm a little bit sad that we've come to the end of 1 Corinthians, but my sadness is mitigated by the fact that Scripture is a big book, and I'm sure we're going to hear the same thing again very soon in another letter.
0: And I knew... Paul was thinking about this when he decided, you know, I know people are going to be sad at the end of Corinthians, so I'll write a second Corinthians, just so they don't feel let down.
1: What a nice guy. Now,
0: if you actually hear what the letter is saying, you won't agree that he's a nice guy. You're a glutton for punishment reading a second one. but
1: Apparently we're gluttons for punishment. I want to start right off with verse 1 of chapter 16 and take the opportunity to talk about something that was raised in Father Paul Tarazzi's recent work, The Rise of Scripture. That is this concept of the flock. There's the shepherd of flock, and there's the flock. Very often, we impose context on terminology that isn't actually written. Paul himself stressed in this letter, You have to conform your mind so that it is according to the Scriptures. You have to hear what Paul is saying so that it is according to to the scriptures. Paul will even say later that you have to be refreshed and the way to think about that terminology is not to think of it as a middle-class American who needs a break because their life is so hard.
0: It's not a Corona commercial.
1: No, it's not that kind of refreshment. It's refreshment in the sense that you refresh a computer's hard drive, meaning you reformat it once again to the base operating system, or update its operating system with additional information, Paul will refresh you by conforming your mind, by reminding you, refreshing you with the instruction. So that's what we have to do. So when Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed, the churches of Galatia, what I want to point out to our listeners, he doesn't say the church, capital C, in Galatia. He says the churches in Galatia. And Paul never talks about the church, capital C, the way contemporary Christians talk about the church, capital C. Whether you're a Protestant who thinks the church, capital C, is all the different denominations, or you're a Roman Catholic or an Orthodox who thinks the church, capital C, is your church, the reality is that the reference for church in Paul's writing is this biblical concept of the flock. As Jesus says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. A flock is a community in a locale that is transient and nomadic. And it can't be a flock without its shepherd. So in this sense, Paul is speaking to vulnerable communities that are each flocks unto themselves
0: in the locale of Galatia looking at the context of what we've been reading in 1 Corinthians, this is especially important because remember, Paul is looking to keep the congregation united. Absolutely. Love is the main point. Your wisdom that makes you smarter than everybody else is destructive. It's not helpful. And this is what Paul is getting at. He wants all of your congregation all of you, O Corinthians, to be together as a single flock. He can't afford to have people who are butting heads in a flock. You have sheep literally butting heads with each other and causing chaos within the flock and dividing the flock. He can't afford that. So he says, you have to love one another and submit to one another. All this time I've been telling you, you need to submit to one another and love because division among you is the worst possible problem. Now he's saying... We need to take up a collection because all your wisdom and all your thinking and all your talking and stuff are not going to show your commitment. What's going to show your commitment is that you're actually giving of yourself to those who are more vulnerable than you. This is how you show your submission. And then now he's moving outside of the local congregation. He's saying, oh, by the way, let's talk about love and submission outside of Corinth. And now he's opening it up to talk about Galatia and talking about the other congregations that are around, all these other flocks.
1: The congregation in the wilderness coexists with whatever and whomever is around it. So you're open to all of God's creation. It's not as though you are a congregation in the wilderness looking for other congregations of like mind. That's not what this is about. Paul is, in 1 Corinthians, the shepherd whistling to his flock, with the voice of the Lord which is the instruction of the Torah and part of that instruction is as you said to take care of others whether they are a congregation of the gospel or they are just other people in the wilderness with you it doesn't matter and what's striking here about the collection for the church in Jerusalem and this is where it takes on its prophetic character Jerusalem ultimately will look the other way when Paul is betrayed into the hands of the Romans. So Paul is offering the grace of God's work through his flock to sustain his opponents. And he talks about this in Galatians when he mentions that he was admonished by James and the Jerusalem party not to neglect the poor when they gathered and met. And Paul is making sure he fulfills his duty. It's very powerful when you understand that these are the people who will eventually allow Paul to be betrayed and will look the other way during his demise. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save
0: as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. I love this because he's saying, when I come, I'm not going to pass a tray. I'm just going to assume that every single week you are thinking about the poor and you are setting aside. And the more you prosper, the more you set aside to the poor. And this goes directly against the admonishment in Hosea 10, where he says, the richer you get, the more idols you make, the more altars you make. What he's saying, the richer you get, put aside more and more for the needy. And so he says, there's no collection that needs to be made when I come. I'm gonna come, I'm gonna say, hey, the money, And it's all gonna be right there. Hey, the food, it's all gonna be right there and it's gonna be ready. And so he focuses not on taking care of others, but your duty. He doesn't say, oh, the needy need this. You're gonna be doing a good thing. It's really helpful when people pitch in like you hear in our congregations. But he says, I'm just assuming you're setting aside for the needy and so I'm gonna come and get it.
1: That's why I don't agree when we have any activity to help the poor. And we talk as though we need your help and we're so glad you helped and thank you for your help. It's so wonderful. I understand that this is how human beings talk. But when you are the shepherd of the flock, you have to remember that you are not the shepherd. It's not your voice. It's the voice of the Lord that you are to whistle to the flock. And the voice of the Lord never says, oh, thank you so much for helping. The voice of the Lord says, it's your duty to help. You want me to clap for you for doing the mitzvah of the Lord? So I appreciate your point, and I think it's critical that we remember this. And our congregations won't grow if we talk that way. But that's not what we were commanded to do. We were not commanded to grow our congregation.
0: We were commanded to whistle the voice of the Lord to the congregation. If Paul has to come to Corinth and say, Hey, by the way, we have these needy people in Jerusalem. Would you kindly get together some money so we have something we can take? The people have failed. Paul has to be able to come and just say, it's time to give. Or the head of the community says, hey, we put this together. Paul, do what you need to. If the people are waiting to give until the priest says, oh, we need to put this on the church. We need to buy this equipment. We need to do this. And then people give. The parish is not succeeding. The parish has failed because the priest had to ask. Correct. The priest should be able to assume that... The people are putting aside money all the time, and the priest says, oh, look it, the roof needs to be resealed. I'm going to do it, rather than say, hey, everybody. And then someone says, I will donate to reseal the roof. And then we have a big prayer service for the sealing of the roof to thank the family who donated so nicely to give this great thing. This is not what Paul is talking about. What Paul is saying is, I'm assuming you're collecting all the time, so I'm just going to come and take it. And I'll prove to you that it is possible
1: to function this way as a community because all of you go to work and you do what your employer asks and you volunteer to do work when your employer doesn't ask because you love money. But you come to church and you sit back and wait to be praised because you do not love God and you will never convince me otherwise. And if you indulge people's desire to be asked and to be thanked and to be applauded, you are reinforcing their apathy toward the hand that provides for them, which is the hand of the
0: Lord. You're not teaching them the basic message of 1 Corinthians, which is you must submit. No one gets praise for submitting because then they're not submitting. As Jesus said, do you thank a
1: slave after he comes in from the field, or do you say, where's my food? When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send with them letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Again, I mentioned to you that Paul's relationship with Jerusalem is strained, to say the least, because although Peter and James, it's James who's the head of the church in Jerusalem, but Peter who is ultimately the archenemy of Paul. To say it is strained is an understatement because they promised to embrace, they gave their word that they embraced Paul's teaching, the gospel to the nations, which is the main point of scripture, is to take God's word to all the nations. But they reneged on their promise. It's a deep betrayal. That's why Peter is the traitor in the gospel narratives. It's a deep betrayal of Jesus Christ.
0: And I think that Paul is underscoring this betrayal because there's an irony also. Because Jerusalem at this time was very rich. The temple was also a bank. I mean, if anyone goes to Delphi in Greece, you see each city-state has its treasury there at the temple. This is the same thing that happened in Jerusalem. So to bring money to Jerusalem to help out the brethren is sticking it to Jerusalem because they're the rich ones. Correct. They should be able to help them already. The fact that we need to bring a few nickels in from Corinth is kind of strange. You heap coals on their head. Exactly. You're heaping, you're heaping coals on their head. But
1: I will come to you after I go through Macedonia. And this is a slap against Hellenism. It's a slap in the face. Remember, Paul has co-opted the Roman household and made it part of the content of the gospel. He's aborted Caesar, but he's co-opted the Roman household so that instead of Caesar, instead of the paterfamilias, you have the voice of the Lord, which is the duty of the patrician to whistle to the flock. But Macedonia, why do I mention this specifically? Because Alexander's father, Philip, was from Macedon. Alexander was macedonian which means that paul is once again reminding you that he is reconquering and rooting out the empire the conquest of the opponents of scripture for i am going through macedonia and perhaps i will stay with you even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever i may go so he is going through macedonia he says it twice it's militaristic He's going to rout Macedonia. It's like getting at the root of the cancer and gutting it. But Macedonia is not his destination. He's going through and moving on. He talks about Rome that way in the letter to the Romans as some place that he passes on the way to Spain, which is a slap. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, For I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. I'm going to go through Macedonia, but you will be graced with my extended presence, if God allows.
0: So he's hoping to come and teach and bring his teaching to them personally. But I will remain in Ephesus until
1: Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. This is an important verse because, again, I want to refer to the work of Father Paul Terazi, who argues that the Ephesus school was central to the formation of scripture. So this link between Paul and Ephesus until Pentecost is a breadcrumb
0: Paul has been defining what the adversaries are throughout this letter the adversaries are the ones inside the community the ones who think that they're wise the ones who think they understand the ones who through their actions end up dividing the community because the destruction of the community according to first Corinthians is not going to come from outside it's going to come from inside and the people who are self-righteous who think they know better than the other people in the congregation that's the root of the destruction so why does Paul have to visit? Paul has to visit because he has to root out the problem from the inside. God in the prophets does not complain about how the Babylonians are not faithful to him. He complains about the Israelites and how they are continuously unfaithful to him. That's where the problem lies. It's the unfaithfulness of the people inside the community. You have
1: to remain a congregation in the sense that you follow the voice of the Lord in the wilderness. If you follow the voice of the Lord, It will root out the corruption within, and it will allow you to commingle with those around you without being corrupted. If the insiders and the elite in the church in Roman Corinth hearkened unto the voice of the Lord, they could go to the Sympathine. They could consume meat offered to idols, and it would result not in their Hellenization, but in the evangelization of the patrician. And that is a subtext here because Paul succeeded in evangelizing Apollos. So what's wrong? Why can't then the church in Apollos' household bear fruit? That's the question. They are not successful as a congregation. They're intermingling with the world around them where they are functioning as a congregation. It's a big deal. It's not about coexistence. Coexistence is a low bar it's about communion with the outside i mean coexistence any nation does that with borders and tanks and guns we're talking about embracing the other so that's the interesting thing you failed at embracing the romans in their locality at the simpatine which means you failed you've not heard the voice Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as also I am. Timothy is Paul's right hand. He's a very important character in the story of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And this harkens back again to this idea of hierarchy. Just as Jesus is the proxy of God the Father, and Paul is the proxy of Jesus Timothy is the proxy of Paul. Well,
0: and the Pharisees were saying, you know, we believe God, but we don't believe Jesus. And so the problem is, uh, if you believe God, then you also believe Jesus. And the test here for the people is, okay, if you believe me, Paul, then you will also believe my servant Timothy. And when I say believe, I mean it in the way that Paul talks. Trust means listen to, it means follow, it means submit to. Let no one despise him. And despise doesn't mean be unfriendly to. It doesn't mean, you know, make sure you serve him cookies. It means you make sure that you listen to his teaching and follow his teaching as if I were there among you. Because people say, oh, I don't hate anybody. Oh, I don't have any bad feelings towards anybody. Yeah, but you don't listen to them. You don't submit to them. He's not saying feel nice about Timothy. He's saying do what he says. Submit to him. But send him on his way in peace
1: so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. And if you accept that it is the Lord, the Father of Jesus Christ, who sits at the head of the community in Roman Corinth, there will be peace for Timothy. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. And here, Apollos is wavering. Isn't that interesting? If the shepherd, or the one who is whistling to you with the voice of the shepherd, desires something from you, why would you not follow his desire? He's the shepherd of the flock. So Paul is asking Apollos to come now. Paul, who is the shepherd, who's whistling with the voice of the Lord, And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. He doesn't want to
0: come, but maybe he'll try to push himself to go. But his will is not entirely Paul's will.
1: Which is a problem, because Apollos is the head of this house church, this Roman house church. Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. You want to be a good father? Tell this to your son. Tell it to your daughter. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong.
0: Let all you do be done in love. And this is what you and I have talked about before, where the love and the humility that Paul is teaching is not one of milk toast and doormats. What it is, is one who submits with strength and with resolve and with trust and submits like someone who, who is strong, and that's the tension that our Western culture has a problem digesting. What does it mean to be strong in one's submission? You have to use your strength. You have to be strong, but be strong in how you submit to others. Be resolved to submit to them without wavering. It's a contradiction in the way that we speak.
1: A contradiction in our mind. Now, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men. So for all of you out there who think that submission is about mutual submission, that submission is about you know all of us being equal, just flush your ideology once and for all, because submission... The notion
0: of subjection is incompatible with the notion
1: of equality.
0: And he's not saying submit to each other. He says you submit to them. Correct.
1: And to everyone who helps in the work and labors. Which means you are ultimately submitting to the mitzvah that produces the work and the labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaeus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The refreshment comes from the hearing The teaching and the doing of
0: God's instruction. And the refreshment, like you were saying before, refreshment is not refreshment like a cold drink. It's a refreshment in a refocus. They're refocusing. And fortunately, these people are teaching the correct thing. And so this is a relief to Paul that he's got people out there teaching the right thing. And they're coming to you to teach. So acknowledge them. All these verses here are returning to the main theme of Paul throughout this letter, which is submit, submit, submit submit.
1: The churches of Asia greet you. The churches, plural. Aquila and Prissa greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Again, it's the congregation, the flock in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And again, I want to stress that Scripture proposes an alternative to fascism, but also an alternative to liberalism. It's not about coexistence, it's about communion. It's not about simply tolerating one another's differences. Or, alternatively, in an imperial context, it's not about a melting pot where you try to subvert everyone's differences. It's about being what you are, where you are, but being according to Scripture so that it doesn't matter that there are differences. It does not matter. And if the differences bother you, submit. This is the radicality of 1 Corinthians. This is the radicality of Scripture. Why do we have to suppress your ethnicity or your personality or your different way of thinking in order to hold fellowship? Because you want control. Paul is saying there is no control except the voice of the shepherd. So submit to one another, submit to those around you, and live peacefully as God has commanded. The greeting is in my own hand. Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. And here it's interesting because if you don't love the Lord, you are accursed. Because if you don't follow his voice in the wilderness, you're dead.
0: You don't have a chance.
1: So it's not like God is being nasty. It's just a fact of life. You can stop at the red light when he says stop, or you can go like an idiot teenager and you've got a 50-50 chance of getting run over. And eventually, if you continue to rebel, you're going to get run over. What can I tell you? It doesn't mean that if you follow the voice of the Lord, you won't get run over. Because things happen. But you can be sure that it is a true solid fact that cars stop on a red light. And so should you. Maranatha, which means may the Lord come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you
0: all in Christ Jesus. Amen. He's now pushing it towards the judgment when the Lord will come back. Interestingly, he says it in Aramaic instead of Greek. The love that you have for one another, the submission you have for one another, has its ultimate fulfillment, its ultimate importance in this judgment that's coming. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. Have a great week. Thank you. You've just heard the
1: Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.
0: The Bible as literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.